Well, good morning, church. I want to invite you, if you will, to open up in your Bibles to James chapter 2. We're going to be picking up where we left off uh, last week. And I don't do this uh, very often, but the way, that, the way that I have the outline set up today, uh, I've kind of got several places where we can conclude, okay? And I'm doing that not because I'm as concerned about time, but I'm concerned about content, okay? And so the Lord just continues to uh, reveal to me and show me just jewels in this text. And I don't want to miss the opportunity for them to be communicated to you, okay? So if on your outline, if we don't make it to the end, it's okay, we'll pick it up next week, okay? That sound good? You ready? Can we pray before we start this? Let's do it. Father, thank you so much for your word. Or it's the word that brings life. Father, I pray that you would in this place today, that you would use your beautiful gospel, the gospel of grace, or to transform, to bring life, to make new, to take people and push us more into the image of your son today, we pray in Christ's name, the name above all names, amen. So a quick summary of where we've been the last couple of weeks. I wanna get you to look in your Bibles there, James chapter one, verse 18. So just make sure you see it. Chapter one, verse 18. This is James, he's writing to us. He is the half brother of Jesus. He is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And he is pastoring a dispersed group of Christians. And he is pastoring us here at ABC today. James says this in verse 18, he says, of his own will, that's the will of God, of his own will, he brought us forth. Brought us forth is another word, it's another way of saying he he saved us, he has rescued us, he's transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. James here says, of his own will, his good will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. The word of truth just meaning the gospel the gospel of Jesus. He's brought us forth through the gospel and in the gospel that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That we are, those who are in Christ, we are the first fruits of his work of making all things new. And so the book of James here in the end of chapter one and going into chapter two and continuing on throughout the book, he is gonna be pastoring us into what a life as a new creature looks like and what it doesn't. And so last week or the week before that, actually, we talked about how new creatures in Christ, what our posture should be as we read and hear God's word. And it was a posture that went something like this, that we were to be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to get angry. That we were to turn from our sin and turn to Christ Jesus and his word, that that we were to be a people who we take off the old and we put on the new that's in Christ. We put on Christ Jesus. Last week, we saw that uh, as James had directed us to not just be hearers of God's word, but be doers of his word, we looked at what it looks like to be a doer of God's word. What is the evidence that we're being obedient to the word of God? 
And we saw briefly that he tells us that we're to have a tamed tongue. But then the last two things is what he focused on in the end of the chapter and at the beginning of chapter two. And it was that we live lives that are just, that we live justly and that we show mercy. That that's what obedience to Christ looks like. To be obedient to the word of God is to live justly and is to be a person who shows mercy. Today, we're gonna develop that a lot more. And so I want us to begin where we ended last week in chapter two, and we're gonna look at what James teaches about partiality. And so look with me here. I'm gonna read the first four verses. James says, my brothers and sisters, you don't get out of this girls, okay? My brothers and sisters, show no partiality, show no favoritism, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So James is gonna begin this with a principle and it's like, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he moves into an example and he probably one that he saw before his eyes, probably one that he had witnessed as he was preaching, as he was teaching, as the assembly that he was leading was about to begin. And he saw one person that was respected higher than another or someone or people thought they had more value than another human being. And what James is saying is that we're to show no partiality because our God shows no partiality. And so what I want you to see first is that partiality goes against, look at number one there on your outline. James is telling us this goes against the very way of the kingdom. This goes against the very heart of God. This goes against the way he thinks and the way he acts and the way he works. And so church, we need to hear this and it needs to be very clear to us. It does not matter if it was how you were raised. It doesn't matter if it's what your pastor taught you. It doesn't matter if it's what your grandparent that you love very much taught you or what you saw in your home or what was reflected on your street or what went down in any environment that you've grown up in or what speaks the loudest in your own heart. It goes against the heart of God. It goes against the way of the kingdom. It goes against the way our Lord thinks and he acts. He shows no partiality and his people are not to either. But here's what we find. Throughout church history, we see a consistent stain that has been on the church and the stain is partiality or favoritism. It's lifting up one group of people over another. It's having a church assembly where we separate ourselves from other human beings. That has been the way James saw it here. We have certainly seen it in our nation. We've seen it in our nation. We've seen it in the churches in our nation. And it's been very clear. Our history proclaims this very loudly. It may be normal 
But Jesus doesn't call us to be normal. He calls us to be holy. It may be normal in our culture, but it is not to be normal in Christ's church. And so what James is gonna do is lead us to consider this. And so he gives this example of partiality. And before we go out, you know, too far from it, I, I mean, even if we would never say, you sit over here, you sit there. Oh, Mr. Rich man, sit in a prime location. You, Mr. Poor man, sit in the back row where nobody can see you. Even if that would never be said, you know that has existed in your heart. I know it has existed in my life. I know it has crept into my mind, in my little privileged brain. But let me tell you, though it may be normal, Jesus doesn't call us to be normal. He's raising us up to be holy, a new kind of people, a people here in James who show no partiality. So let's see what he says and how he describes this. Look at verse five. This is such an interesting <clears throat> verse. And I just wanted to make sure we took time on it. We didn't last week. Verse five says, James says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world or poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him. But James says, but you have dishonored the poor man are not the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? What James is saying is this, this goes against the way that God works. It goes against the gospel. And he gives an example. He says, listen, God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to make them rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. Now, I wanna be clear here. It is very possible that you read this and it has certainly been interpreted this way before that what James is saying is that if you are poor, that God favors you more. That, that's not what he's saying. Or that if you are rich, that God likes you less. That is not what he's saying. I wanna remind you of the context that we're in. God shows no partiality. So the very context that we're in is a God who doesn't show partiality and his people aren't either. What James is saying here and is very clear in the life of Jesus, it's very clear in the writings throughout the scriptures from Genesis to the very maps in the back of your Bible. It is clear that the people, the ones that the world consistently excludes, our God embraces. Let me be clear once again, y'all seem like you are asleep today. Are y'all okay? Are y'all good? I mean, am I like, do I sound like, a, I mean, am I okay? Y'all good? Hang with me. Y'all usually more active than this. Okay, listen. What he's saying is the very way that God saves this church was causing it to be hidden or broken or they were dishonoring the gospel. Why? Because they were going against the very way of the gospel. Now, a phrase that I have learned that has really been changing my heart is this is that because of the gospel of grace, because of the great mercy of God, because of who I am in Christ, listen, my house, 
our church, our lives, we should be building longer tables, not higher fences. Because of what we have seen in the life and ministry of Jesus, because we are a new creature changed by the grace of God, we should be learning to build longer tables, not higher fences. But the church throughout history has spent a lot more money on fences than tables. James says that's not the way of the gospel. And he reminds us of how God's been working. I I want to show you something that's consistent here with James's teaching and Paul's teaching. If you will, turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter one. We mentioned this last week, but we're gonna look at it today. I wanna make sure you see it in the Bible and you don't think that I'm just making it up. 1 Corinthians. I I flipped into this earlier and it was not in my Bible. (laughs) 1 Corinthians had fallen out. But here here we go. I I have it here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 26 through 30. The Apostle Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Thanks, Paul. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it was written or is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Listen, the ones the world consistently excludes, God and his people are to consistently embrace. Not higher fences, longer tables. I want us to consider the teaching of Jesus for just a moment in line with this. Look with me, flip over to Luke chapter 14. I love this parable. This is the parable of the great banquet. And I just want you to think of the way of the kingdom, the way of Christ. I'll start reading slowly here in verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, he said, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Very quickly, can we all just understand for a minute Jesus is not telling us to be a people who don't invite your friends over to your house. He's not being a people who says, look, if you got money, you can't come through my door. Is that what he's doing? Do you think Jesus is like, hey, I don't want you to invite your mama over or your brother over or anything like that. No, only invite, no, he's not doing that. God doesn't show partiality. What he's doing is he is showing us something very different about the kingdom of God than the kingdom of this world. And so Jesus, when he says this, he says, listen, When you invite the rich neighbors over, you're inviting them over in part because you want them to repay you and invite you over to their house. 
He's like, but think about this. What if you did it differently? But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Let's just keep reading. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And all of God's people should say, amen to that. All right, but let's keep going. Jesus doesn't stop talking. All right, he says, a man once gave a great banquet and he invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've bought a field and I must go out and see, see it. Please have me be excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Before we go any further, there's nothing wrong with having an ox if you have one. There's nothing wrong with having a wife if you got one. I've got one too. There is nothing wrong with having some land. It's cool. It's okay. Okay, it's a gift from God. But here's what he's saying. The point of the story is seen here. They ignored the invitation to walk in the kingdom for things of this world that will one day be gone. What happens here? It says, then the master of the house became angry and he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still, there's no, there, still there is room. And I say to you today, there's always room. If you breathe in, there's room. All right, let's keep going. Here we go. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. My goodness. Listen, what he's saying is, it is so easy, even in church as it is culturally, to be here and completely miss the way of Christ's kingdom and instead walk in the way of the world. It's easy. James is pastoring us as new creatures to not go the way of the world, but go the way of the kingdom. And he says, partiality is not the way of the kingdom. It's the way of the world. It's not the way your head thinks. I want you to look there at verse one in chapter two, and I, I want you to notice something. We're told, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says the Lord of glory. Another way of this is just says the Lord who is the glory. Look at the glory. If we wanna see the way of the kingdom and we want to be invited to see what this looks like, the clearest way to see it is in the face of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter four says that if you wanna see the glory of God, the glory of God is seen in the very face of Jesus Christ. Look at his life, look at how he moves, look at how he invites people in, look at how he shows mercy and how he loves. We're to be like Christ. 
This text and what we're reading is not telling us that the rich are less loved than the poor. It's also not telling us to be misled. I mean, it is also telling us not to be misled, to think that somehow reaching the rich would be more strategic than reaching the poor. The very way of the gospel is that he takes what is poor in the eyes of the world and he makes them rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. Real quick, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. How many of you know how an heir got what they have? Did they work for it? Nope. How'd they get it? They came out of the womb. They were just born and they received it. When we say heirs, we're thinking about one that received an inheritance. They didn't work to get their inheritance. They received it because of who they are. That's what the gospel is proclaiming to us. We're heirs of the kingdom. It's not because of our work. It's because of God's grace. It's not because of what we've done, but it's because of who we are and what he's done for us. To treat people as if some people are more valuable than the next is to go against the very gospel that we preach. You can't say that we're heirs of the kingdom, but somehow I'm better than you. You didn't do anything for it. It was a gift. It came through your birth in Christ, your new birth. You're a new creature. And being a new creature, you're given an inheritance. It's free. Don't think you're more valuable than the next person. The value that you need to focus on is this, that you are valued and loved by God. So partiality goes against the way of the kingdom. But number two, partiality, it goes against the law of the kingdom. Look with me at verse eight. Verse eight says that if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Okay, let's talk about the law of the kingdom. I love this phrase here in James 2, the royal law. This is the law of the king, the law of the kingdom. This is what Jesus was talking about when the lawyer approached him and the lawyer said, hey, You know, he's trying to trick him. He didn't tell Jesus that. He came up to him trying to trick Jesus. And he said, hey, what is the greatest of all the commandments? And see, he was confused because there are 10 commandments that you know about that were given to Moses there on the mountain. There were also 613 laws in all that are found from Genesis to Deuteronomy. Okay, so if you read the, the first five books of the Bible, 613 laws. This lawyer comes up, a student of the law, he comes up to Jesus and he says, okay, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus answers him and says, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all that you are and all that you have. And secondly, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was summarizing the very heart of the law. 
He was showing the purpose of the law was that we would love God and that we would love one another. Jesus came and he perfectly lived this law. He is the only person to perfectly live this law. The law was given to the people for the 10 commandments specifically for the first four help us see the vertical relationship that we have with God to love him. The last six are about the horizontal relationship we have with one another. And he says, if you follow these, you will love God and you will, you will love me and you will love your neighbor. But no one but Jesus has ever done that. No one else has been able to accomplish that. We all have broken that. The very thing that we have been unable to do is perfectly love God and love each other, to love our neighbors. The royal law is a summary of the entire law and it's to love your neighbor as yourself. The apostle Paul does the same thing in Romans 13. When he's teaching on the law, he says that we're to owe no one anything except for to love them. And he says for a summary of the law or all of the law and the prophets, they point to this very thing, to love your neighbor as yourself. The apostle Paul and James assume the love of God in this. That the only way to love your neighbor as yourself is to first love God and to be loved by God. And so what he says here is he says that to show partiality is to go against the very law of the kingdom, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Before we go any further, I think it makes sense for us to be reminded of what Jesus taught about who our neighbor is. We read it earlier in the Good Samaritan, but another lawyer came up to Jesus and was talking to him about the law and Jesus told him, hey, go and do the law, do the word and you'll be well, everything will be good. That man was smart and he came with a question. He said, but, but who is my neighbor? And then Jesus told him a story about a Samaritan who was the hero and the priest and the Levite who were big time failures. And at the end of the story, he asked him, he says, well, who was a neighbor? The lawyer wasn't even able to say a Samaritan because Jews and Samaritan had so much beef between one another. And he said this, he said, the one who showed mercy. And he said, you go and do likewise. When Jesus defined a neighbor, he defined it as this, it's anyone in need. But here's what partiality does. Partiality, whether it's something that's in your head, whether it's something that's been in your Sunday school class or small group or your life or your church or your home or whatever it is, partiality is choosing who our neighbors are gonna be. The very gospel and the law of the kingdom calls us to love every neighbor. The way that I like to think of the world is this. When I wake up in the morning, I do this. I, I start thinking the world like one big fat neighborhood. And whichever neighbor comes in front of me today, I wanna love them as Jesus Christ has loved me. No matter who it is. But we like to pick and choose our neighbors. We like neighbors who look like us and who think like us and who have similar backgrounds as us and who talk about theology like us. We like neighbors like that. 
But neighbors who are different, those are the kind of neighbors that we begin to build fences. We don't know what it's like to build a longer table. When we talk about neighbors, we are called as new creatures to love them all because our God shows no partiality. This does not mean that God doesn't care about doctrine. God does care about doctrine. We're not talking about church membership here. We're talking about loving people and we're to love all people and all kinds of people. We're to love people who don't agree with us, even on the Christian faith. We're to love those who don't think like us and don't look like us. We're to love them as Jesus Christ has loved us. To show partiality is a breaking of the law of the kingdom. And James is saying, to pick and choose who you're gonna love, to do that, is to choose the neighbors that you're, gonna, that you're gonna have. And that's not how our people are to be. Partiality breaks God's heart and it goes against the very law that Jesus has fulfilled. So listen, for us, when we think about the law uh, as, as Christians, we are not under the law anymore, we're under grace. And so for us, we can admit that all of us for our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Okay, we just saying that earlier. For us, we are not called to, and we, don't, we shouldn't think of ourselves as at this point, now that we've believed or now that we're in Christ, we're going to love God perfectly and love our neighbor perfectly. We're not gonna do that. It's just not gonna happen. But Jesus has loved his father perfectly. And he has loved his neighbors perfectly. And in Christ, that's where our righteousness is found. And also in the power of the Holy Spirit that is given freely to all those who are in Christ, we have the power to now live out the law to love our God and love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the way of a new creature. Partiality breaks that. And it doesn't matter what area of life you're being partial in. It's always a breaking of God's law. And today, if you think that's not a big deal, that's a small sin, it's not a big deal. Not to God, it's not. To God, it's a really big deal. And what he says is if you are selective on what you obey, you need to understand that to obey only certain laws is to break all of them. He goes into it here and I'll read it and then we'll... We will move on here. In chapter uh, two, starting in verse eight, I'll read this again. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whomever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. That's a big deal. So we need to understand that to love your neighbor as yourself, if we are showing partiality, we need to see we're not just doing a minor offense, we're breaking God's heart and his law. Jesus Christ has saved us. We're not under the law anymore. We're not gonna be judged in the sense that we will receive condemnation or his wrath. But we also need to understand that if we've received the mercy of God, if we've been saved by Christ who perfectly fulfilled the law and has now given it to us, we should not be caught as a person showing partiality to a brother or sister next to us or looking down upon another human being, that that is sin 
It's not just something that's a mistake. It's not just something that is wrong and it's okay because it's part of our culture. It's not okay, it's sin. Okay? All right, keep, keep going with me. Verse 11, for he who said, do not commit adultery and also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So James is gonna go into this. Listen, he says, so speak and so act is those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I want you to see the flow here. Partiality goes against the way of the kingdom. Secondly, partiality goes against the very law of the kingdom, the royal law. And thirdly, flowing right into it, the mer- it goes against the mercy of the kingdom. The, the general principle here in these passages that we're looking at, or these verses here that I just read, is that if you have been shown mercy in Christ, you are to show mercy to any neighbor. If God has been merciful to you, you are to be merciful to the person next to you, in front of you, down the street. Does that, does that make sense? I need to make sure you understand. I, listen, I care about your soul. And I care about the reputation of our church. This is a big deal. If you have received the mercy of Christ, you are to extend the mercy of Christ to your neighbor. See, Jesus loved us when we were in a sense and very clearly unlovable, when we were helpless, when we were an enemy. And now new creatures in Christ who have been rescued, who've been brought forth by the word of truth, we're to even love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. We're to extend his grace. We're to forgive, we're to show mercy. James says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. This is not crazy language. Think about Jesus in Matthew 25. He talks about judgment and he talks about the sheep and the goats and then being separated. And we just looked at this passage. We preached on it not that long ago. And what, what, what does he say? He says, what you do to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. To those who were confused on what happened, he said, what you did not do to the least of these, you did not do to me. For when I was hungry, when I was naked, when I was in prison. This is the very teaching of Christ. James is not trying to talk you out of your salvation today. He's trying to push you into the very heart of the kingdom. Amen. Notice what I said last week, not evidence of that you're, I don't, I'm not trying to get you to think about if you're saved or not. We'll talk about that in just a minute. I'm wanting you to see what actual obedience to Christ looks like. It's not just saying you believe in God. It's not just saying you believe in Christ. James is gonna say in a few minutes, the demons even do that. He's saying faith in Christ. It looks like a life that believes so much in the mercy of God that we would extend it to anyone and everyone. There were people who live justly and we show mercy. 
when he talks about obedience, listen, I love the Bible. I love it so much. I love to read it. But when he's talking about obedience, a lot of you think of the obedience to Christ as just being reading your Bible. The Bible is showing us, the whole Old Testament pointed to the truth that Jesus has fulfilled, the law that he fulfilled, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is saying, if you're reading the Bible, if you're reading my word, you're gonna be people who are obedient to my heart. You're gonna care about what I care about. It's all people. And you're gonna live a life of justice and you're gonna live a life of mercy. James is preaching this boldly here in this text. A couple of examples and we will conclude the message for today. I want us to consider about what mercy is and what it looks like. I believe that oftentimes when we say mercy, we're talking about something a little different than what Christ is calling us to. I asked my kids this question the other day. I got them around. I said, okay, what does it mean to show mercy? They all, I mean, they all said the same exact thing. They said, it's to be nice. It's to be kind. Lucy even said, I went down, she says to forgive. That, that is certainly true. But I think for most of us, we stop right there when we talk about mercy. Kindness, niceness, Forgiveness, all are great things. But I want us to review a couple of times when Jesus uses the word mercy or it's used in reference to him. One is what we just saw a minute ago, the Good Samaritan. What happens in the Good Samaritan? And what does mercy mean? Did mercy mean that the Good Samaritan, that he showed mercy because he was nice to him? Because he was just kind to him? Because he said sweet words of you know, prayer over him when he walked, but that's, that's not what mercy meant in that text. What did mercy mean? It meant he picked him up. He put him on his horse. He took him to an end. He got him the care he needed. He was generous in providing for his needs. That was what was called mercy. I'll give you another example. There are a couple of men in one of the accounts, one in the other, but they're on the side of the road. Jesus is walking by and they say, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, you probably remember this story. These men were blind. Jesus has a very short conversation with them and Jesus heals their sight. In that passage, what did they mean by mercy? Did they mean they wanted Jesus to come by and say, hello, sirs, hope you're doing well. You are welcome to sit at our church anytime. He, 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 he was not just nice to them. He met the need that they had. So in those two texts, we see mercy is used in the meeting of the actual need. James, I believe, is thinking of this exact kind of mercy. Let me give you an example. Look at verse 14, and we're gonna conclude in this, in this text, 14 to 17. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? James says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
When James goes on to talk about a life of mercy, he's not just talking about a life where we're nice. He's not just talking about a church where we have seats. He's talking about a people who make space. And we've talked about this before. We're not just a church that should have seats. We're a church that ought to make space in our lives. Mercy, when James is talking about it, is knowing needs and meeting needs. It doesn't mean we can meet every need that we come across. But God knows every need. And here's what we need to see. That when he talks about the mercy of the kingdom, he's talking about mercy that acts. Compassion that moves. Compassion that recognizes needs and moves towards those very needs. James is teaching us that the way of the kingdom, that the law of the kingdom, that the mercy of the kingdom and the faith of the kingdom, they all build a wall against being partial to somebody. I don't know where you are today. I don't know how James is leading you or teaching you. I, I, I don't know where you, uh, where you sit and what you're thinking about. But what I know is this, is his church, a people that have been brought forth as new creatures. We're to be people who are merciful. We're to be a people who are known for our love. Jesus says that we're to be known as his disciples by the way that we love one another, by the love that we have. And so I ask you today, what are we known for? What are you known for? Do you see evidence of this kind of mercy in your life? Maybe today, partiality in your heart is more evident than mercy. Maybe today, partiality is more evident in your life than a life of justice and a heart for those who are different from you. Maybe today what you need to hear is this. It may be possible that you've never encountered Jesus. Maybe it's possible that the very mercy of God you've never even received. But for most of you here today, I, I believe that you probably sit here in Christ because you believe that he died in your place and he rose from the grave and then he's coming back again. And, and you believe and you're part of his people, a people who are not perfect, but a people who are in progress. And today for us in progress, Jesus is here and he's desiring to make us more like himself. And if there is partiality in your life, if there are places in your life where you're so much more likely to build a fence than, than build a longer table, let the gospel speak into your heart today. Let Jesus bring newness into your life today and into our church today. Partiality goes against the way of the kingdom, the law of the kingdom, the mercy of the kingdom and the actual faith of the kingdom. A faith that works, a faith that responds, a faith that's alive and active to what God is moving toward. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would use it today to make us more like Christ Jesus.
Lord, may we follow where James is leading us to be a people who ask the right questions. May today we evaluate our hearts. Father, I pray as we seek your word, Lord, I I pray that your word would seek us and it would expose and that we would be very quick to hear and we would be extremely slow to speak and slow to get angry, that we'd be slow to justify, but we would be quick to humble ourselves before you. Lord, no one in this room is without sin. But in Christ, all of us are heirs. Lord, we've been given an inheritance that comes by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, may, you jo- may we join you today in loving those around us. May we enter into the neighborhood that is your big world and love each neighbor as Jesus Christ has loved us. Or teach us to build longer tables, not higher fences. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.